Beauty's Hour of Fantasy by Olivia Shakespeare. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 There was confusion in the Harmon's house the next day. I did no work, but sat idly with the girls in their sitting room while they talked over the ball. They were full of the new beauty, Miss Hatherley. And such an odd thing, Mary. Gerald says she reminds him of you. Quite impossible, said I, but I thank him. Something in her voice and way of talking, Betty went on. You have a nice voice, you know. Gerald says she is very original, and goodness knows he had opportunity enough of finding out he danced with no one else. I nearly contradicted that statement, but saved myself in time. I'm so sorry I couldn't go, I said instead. Did Miss Sturgis enjoy herself? And are you really better? said Betty. You didn't seem ill in the afternoon. As for Bella— Oh, Bella, interrupted Clara. Bella had best look to her laurels. No one noticed her while Miss Hatherley was in the room. I went on with my questions. Do you suppose Miss Hatherley enjoyed her success? They laughed. <laughs> Why, yes, if she's like other girls. Perhaps she isn't. Do all girls enjoy being admired at the expense of someone else? Clara looked out of the window with an assumption of unconsciousness. Betty, who is more candid, answered at once, one can't help liking it. I laughed outright. Does Miss Hatherley seem nice? I asked next. Charming, said Clara. We have taken quite a fancy to her. Mother is writing today to ask her to dine and go to the theatre with us tomorrow. That was Gerald's idea. I received this piece of news in silence. Everyone wants to know her. Clara went on. Dr. Trefusis was overwhelmed with questions and inquiries as to whether people might call, and so on. She paints all day through, and works quite hard as though she had to do it. Odd, isn't it? Why odd? said I. I suppose she likes it. But a passion for art is unnecessary in a pretty woman, no doubt. And Betty broke in with— Oh, there you go again, Mary, always finding fault with pretty women. Not with them, my dear, but with the world, I said, laughing. You can't say I find fault with you, Betty. Oh, I'm not pretty, said she, by Miss Hatherley. I was touched by her speech. You're a generous creature, I said. I have always supposed it a mistake to think that one pretty girl is jealous of another. Betty put her head on one side, and with an odd mixture of wisdom and drollery answered, Well, we like beauty, and we don't. We like it because it's interesting and exciting and successful, and a pretty girl gives one's house a certain reputation. We don't approve when she annexes people who belong to us, naturally. All the same, we can't help feeling she must do as she pleases. She's privileged. I had no idea you were so profound, said Clara, a little sharply, and I wondered whether it is possible that women are more tenacious of an intellectual than of a physical superiority. 
betty only laughed i'm off <laughs> said she i promised to meet the sturgises in the park but gerald won't come and i'm half afraid to face bella alone good-bye mary we'll ask you to meet miss Haverley when we know her better when i got home i found that dr trefusis had sent on lady harmon's letter i sat over it for some time thinking then i wrote and said i would go miss waitley looked at me wistfully when i told her i'm afraid you will get into some trouble mary she said and you can't possibly wear the ball dress i must go i retorted i am at last seeing life as a woman ought to see it i can't give up the privilege at least not yet you won't give it up till you have paid the penalty miss waitley answered i shrugged my shoulders as though i did not believe her i must have another dress i cried miss waitley would have given me the clothes off her back she said but as that would not avail me much she offered to lend me some money i accepted the offer with a recklessness born of my strange position and we went out shopping after sunset mary haverley and miss waitley the people in the shops seemed anxious to please me even when they found that i could afford to pay but little for what i wanted they probably looked upon me as a good advertisement and i enjoyed the novelty of being treated with a deferential consideration it was a very cold night as we passed along the freezing gas-lit streets we met but few people we had to cross the square in which dr trefusis lived on our way home i noticed before we reached his door that a man in a fur overcoat was pacing slowly up and down the pavement why did he linger in such weather i wondered vaguely then i saw it was gerald harmon i put my muff up to my face and passed him by i knew too well that he was waiting on the chance of seeing mary haverley on her way home from a day's work at the studio you do not work very late these foggy days i suppose he asked me tentatively the next evening at dinner i make gaslight studies said i shortly is it permitted to anybody to go and see you at work oh no i answered with a smile i paint in earnest i waited an hour in dorchester square last night he went on very low in the hope of seeing you that was misplaced heroism said i in such weather i should advise you not to do it again i shall do it every evening he declared and i only laughed a little as though the subject were not of the remotest interest and turned to my neighbour gerald sat by me at the play i went so seldom to the theatre that i was always arrested by the interest of the piece and of the actors i sat in the front of the box by lady harmon who i was certain suffered under the uneasy sensation that she was taking a leap in the dark in encouraging a young unknown woman with nothing to recommend her but her looks though on the other hand she was upheld by the authoritative voice of society which had pronounced a favourable verdict on me 
behind us were gerald and betty it was such an intimate family party that i had great difficulty in not using the familiar tone of every day when i had only just saved myself from calling betty by her christian name and pointing out an acquaintance of gerald's whom i knew by sight in the stalls i was sobered silence fell upon me i was so acutely aware of gerald's presence which seemed like a light at which i could not bear to look that i tried to distract myself by noting the faces of the other people in the house till the curtain should rise here and there i caught glimpses of a pretty head the graceful turn of a neck an expression of happiness or of vivacity but the audience was mostly ugly dull and uninteresting yet i felt sorry for all these people for their inarticulate dumb way of going through life untouched by passion save in its baser aspects or only apprehending the ideal through some conventionalized form of religion or some dim discontent the play was romeo and juliet the juliet was beautiful but she could only look the part and the young man who acted romeo was no ideal lover yet the immortal golden play of youth and passion drew tears and quickened heartbeats for each woman in the house was juliet tasting summer rapture perhaps lost perhaps never realized of first love the curtain dropped i sat in a dream and lady harmon's voice seemed to come from very far away it's a pretty play she said but don't you think it's rather a muddle i never can make out who is who it doesn't matter answered betty don't trouble mother dear what a lovely thing it would be for private theatricals parts of it that is gerald wouldn't bella make a good juliet her remark might or might not have been malicious but gerald started bella he ejaculated and looked at me his look said plainly what his lips had not yet dared no man had ever looked at me with entreaty passion humility in his eyes i looked back at him the soul of mary gower speaking through the eyes of mary haverley he flushed and went pale again and i regretted what i had done for the rest of the evening i devoted myself to lady harmon gerald seemed lost in thought and only roused himself when the carriage stopped at dr trefusis's door i shall never see you alone said he as we stood on the doorstep i cannot talk to you i must write to you he ended with a sort of despairing impatience do not write said i and then the door was opened by the doctor in person gerald seemed hardly able to speak to him when a few words had passed he went back abruptly to the carriage mary said dr trefusis you are a great trouble to me now i've got to take you home and interrupt my studies in rosencrantz and the pope honorius most absorbing old impostors 
no i won't say that for i'm beginning to think there may be some method in their madness you have led me into devious paths mary haverley by the way who's that good-looking young fellow that's gerald harmon said i the doctor looked at me with a sort of inquisitive sympathy and shrugged his shoulders when he left me at my own house you are playing with fire my dear he said and i'm an old fool to help you you are helping me to buy the experience that teaches i said and it teaches bitter lessons enough don't fear for me End of chapter 5